Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Charpy Podcast, Gary Trust, Billboard Senior Director of Charts. Uh, and this is Andrew Unterberger, uh, s- uh, Senior Editor over on the digital side. You're not Trevor Anderson. I'm not, no. Uh, few among us are, truly. <laughs> uh, so uh, Trevor's off this week uh, on vacation uh, somewhere, but uh, we'll be in uh, fine shape with you. Andrew, you've been on uh, before. People might know you from Billboard's Coming Around Again podcast, too, which... Mm-hmm. A little flashback there, sure, yeah. Is it, uh, is it coming around again? Uh, it's it's uh, inactive for the time being, uh, still on hiatus. Uh, uh, you know, we're, we're like One Direction, right? Like, uh, you know, maybe it'll come back someday, but, uh, you know, don't... Uh don't put it on your calendar necessarily for any time soon. All right. So uh, we're going to talk, as usual, uh, Hot 100 this week, uh, especially number one, because uh, the artist at number one is having one of the most historic years ever on the Hot 100. So uh, we're going to try to decide, is he having the best year anyone has ever had in the entire uh, 60-year history of the Hot 100, uh, going back uh, to the beginning in 1958? Well, I should go back a little bit uh, before then, I think, because wow. uh, uh, there, there was someone right before the Hot 100 started that I think uh, deserves a mention of that. But uh, yeah, we're going to try to figure out. Uh, Drake uh, is the artist this year, uh, setting all these records, and we'll get into that in just a moment when we run down uh, the top 10 on uh, this week's uh, Hot 100. So uh, yeah, that's what we're trying to find out this week. Who's had the best year ever on the Hot 100? So, uh, plus to wrap things up, uh, flashback as always. Uh, we're going to go back to uh, a song that was uh, really big hit ten years ago this week. Uh, huge stars all over it. I feel like people might have totally forgotten about it though. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, yeah, we, we, you know, I'm curious when you when you say the song if uh, people will even be able to. Will they be able to hear it in their head? Will they be able to identify the the, the the collective artist name behind it? Will they be able to name some of the artists who are on the song? I don't know. I don't know if I was able to do any of that when you told me we'd be talking about the song on the segment. It's it's a uh, it, it's funny how how some of these songs uh you know that they make an immediate impact and then it feels like two years later that they're they're totally erased from history almost. Also, it helped raise money and awareness for an important cause too. So if, if nothing else, it, it did it did yeah, what it was sure. supposed to do. So so that's on the way. Uh, let's get into it as always. This week's top ten. On the Billboard Hot 100. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Tell me why you know Number 10. Is it that you spring the night? Underneath the sunrise. Show me why you know the light. Let you get a taste. Yeah, that's cool, but he ain't like me. Number a lot nine. of girls like me, niggas wanna fight me. Nigga, get your ass checked like a fucking Nike. Me, not icy. That's Back in high school, I used to bust it to the dance. Yeah! Now I hit the FBO with duffels in my hands. Number eight. I did half a Zan, 13 hours till I land. Had me out like a light, hey, like a light, hey, like a light. I don't really want no fun. Number seven. I don't really want no fun. He, he trying to 69 like Takashi. Call him Papi. Worth the ace that keep me rocky. I'm from New York, so I'm cocky. Such a fucking hoe. I love it. Number six. You're such a fucking hoe. I love it. You're such a fucking hoe. When the first time they ask you, you want. I still see your shadows in my room. Number you can't five. Can't take back the love that I gave you. It's to the point why I love it. 
como Celia Cruz tengo el azúcar. And number one. Say you never ever leave from beside me. Cause I want you and I need you. And I'm down for you always, KB. Do you love me? Are you riding? All right, so Drake, number one again. Uh, it's been pretty much all 74% of the year. Drake, yeah, it's, it's, it's been, been a feel like a long time since we were talking about anybody else in number one. I mean, I know, I know there are a couple couple minor detours in there, but uh, you know, you, you'll, you'll, you'll look back on this in a couple of years and it'll just feel like Drake was number one for the entire year, basically. Yeah. So uh, it actually was really, really close this week. Uh, Girls Like You, we heard at number two, Maroon 5. It almost did it. We, we didn't know. We, we posted a story last week. Uh, honestly, had no idea what number one would be. Drake was slightly in the lead, but uh, sometimes over the weekend when we get final streaming mm-hmm. and, and airplay uh, and sales, it can change a little bit, but uh, he just held on one more week. Yeah, and, and, at, and I, I, at this point, it, it wouldn't have felt right to me for for girls like you to be the song that unseated it, to, for it to be the you know the, the kind of competition between these two songs, both of which are fading, and one of which just happens to be fading slightly faster than the other one. Right. Eh, I'd rather it be something new that kind of comes along and really takes the takes the crown from Drake rather than just kind of inheriting it by uh, by default. Then, well, so. it, it still could happen yeah, next week. Sure. So before not, not, you, not done yet. Yeah, but. before you write off, uh, you're filling in for Trevor perfectly on that. He doesn't like, like <laughs> you at all. He doesn't think it's a worthy number one. I don't. Happens. I don't think it is either. But uh, you know, that, that's partly. Uh, you know, it's a matter of uh, what world you're living in. I'm sure if you're living in a more, you know, the mainstream focused, more radio focused world, if, if, and if you're living, you know, maybe. Uh, I don't know if, if you're a little, a little bit older, maybe I, I, I don't know what, what exactly the dividing line is, but uh, there's clearly a world that girls like you has just totally been dominating the last two, two months or so. I mean, right. it's been like, what, like eight, eight weeks in number one in radio, something like that. So, I mean, it's not like this is a nothing song. This is clearly a song that's having a very large impact. But uh, in my world, on, on the Internet, amongst the staff here in the streaming world. You know, it's it's a presence, but it's not one of those songs where you're just like, wow, like the, when, when is the song going to be over already? Like enough. Like it, 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 I'm. I'm not sick of it yet, and I feel like the song that that takes the takes the crown from uh, from Drake should be a song that we're just just like man, like like that was just an undeniable song. Like they really earned that number one. All right, I will proudly represent the older yeah, radio listening people among the staff here. Are you, are you sick of girls like you already, Gary? I think it still sounds pretty fresh. Actually, okay. I think partly because it's. It's so simple. It, mm-hmm. It's me. It's not their most uh, intricate melody hook that they've ever written, but uh, those chords—they're just really addictive. And Cardi B is on it too. So if it gets there, mm-hmm. Cardi B still gets a number one. Yeah, no, and uh, you know, can't begrudge her that certainly. But uh, the, you know, she's had two in the last calendar year. I think that's that's a, a decent representation for Cardi B on the Hot 100. And I'd rather see. Yeah, we we have some new songs in the, in the top twenty this week, the top ten, uh, then some songs that are kind of gaining very very steadily behind it. And I'd like to see one of those songs, really, that that, that really just kind of uh, exerts its its impact on the chart and, and, and feels like something fresher and newer than a song that's already been out for, I mean, if you've, the, the, the song itself without Cardi B has been out for, for even longer. So, eh, yeah, I, I think that it would feel more cathartic uh, for those of us who have been in the, in the, in the, in the weeds with Drake for so long to, to finally have a, a number one that feels like something new and interesting and different. It's kind of like last year when uh, Despacito uh, sure. fell for number one. It was Taylor Swift. Took, took maybe the biggest Taylor recording artist of the decade to unseat it. And that, right. that, that's, uh, that, that, that's how I feel it should be this time. Uh, it could be Kill Shot by Eminem. Yeah, so sure. uh, huge YouTube numbers so far. We're taping this on uh, Wednesday and uh, we don't know where it'll debut uh, yet, but uh, could be top 10. Could challenge for number one. We'll, we'll see once we get more data. Uh, yeah, the interesting thing about Kill Shot to me is that it's... Everybody rushed to YouTube to listen to it. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, Eminem's obviously been making uh, big news the last couple of weeks. So uh, maybe uh, more to come from Eminem uh, next week. But uh, this week on the Hot 100. So Drake, number one, again, a historic week. Uh, he passes Usher for the most weeks at number one in a year. 29 weeks at number one for Drake in 2018. Uh, God's Plan, 11 weeks. Nice for what? Eight weeks. And now uh, 10 weeks for uh, In My Feelings. Uh, Usher had 28 weeks at number one in 2004. So... Drake takes Remember over. Well. All right, we're going we're to talk about that. Uh, we talk about all these other years. Uh, we'll, we'll hear your memories, Andrew, of oh, 2004. Sure, yeah. uh, a couple other things for Drake this week. Uh, first solo artist with three songs that have topped the Hot 100 uh, for at least 10 weeks each. So there's another record. Uh, 10 weeks at number one for In My Feelings. We just said 11 weeks at number one for God's Plan. And uh, back in 2016, One Dance had 10 weeks. So no other soloist has ever done this 
uh, Boys to Men, the only other act in the 90s. They had to end of the road, I'll Make Love to You, and One Sweet Day. So if those two records aren't enough, uh, also uh, for Drake this week, he becomes the first soloist with two songs to lead the Hot 100 for at least 10 weeks each in the same year. So Feelings and uh, God's Plan, both mm-hmm. uh, this year. The only other act, we're going back, Black Eyed Peas, uh, 2009 for Boom Boom Pow, and I Get a Feeling. Can't forget about those. My question for you about the uh, the three Drake number ones is, uh, which, which of the three do you think will kind of go down as the biggest hit from this run? You know, I, let's let's say uh, in theory that uh, this is this is in my feelings last week at number one. So right. ten weeks and it's out. So uh, is is it God's plan for having the eleven weeks? Is it nice for what for having that that uh, that big video? Is it, is it in my feelings for having the the, the challenge? Which song would you say is the uh, is the definitive Drake song from this period? Yeah, I'm trying to really think this through, but I just keep coming back to really quickly. I, I, and I don't think it's just because we're in the moment now. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's in my feelings. I feel like it just took over pop culture in a way that maybe we thought at the time God's plan and nice for what did, but doesn't it feel like in my feelings totally uh, outdid that? Yeah, it sort of does. I think mostly because uh, it kind of came out of nowhere. Like uh, you know the Drake song, uh, you know God's plan when that first came out. It was like it was like the return of Drake. He had he had taken an, like, I don't know like nine months off, which for him may as well be an entire decade. Uh, so it felt like a comeback single, and 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 I think people were just excited to have him back because you know he he'd been silent for a little while, and then it felt like nice for what was kind of riding the riding the wave of that. But then uh, you know, in my feelings, it wasn't even a single at first. It was just uh, one of the you know twenty five tracks on on Scorpion. Uh, and it, it was kind of it, it was sort of the the elected single from the you know, from the people because uh, first it was just the, the track that people were, were most into and and you know quoting the lyrics and uh, right. kind of making memes out of that and then the challenge sort of developed seemingly organically uh, you know you know you never know what kind of influence Drake's people had on pushing the button with that but uh, it, it certainly seemed to snowball kind of on its own whereas the other ones kind of dropped out of the sky as already sort of preordained number ones this one kind of earned it on its own merit. So th- that I think that's probably why it feels like the biggest hit of the three, and I'm, I'm curious if it'll be the, uh, you know, the the, the 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 best enduring of the bunch, or if one of the others, you know, kind of removed from the moment and the excitement of the meme and stuff like that will, uh, will ultimately feel like the definitive Drake song. But I, I agree with you. I think that it, it seems like in my feelings is probably the most likely candidate at this point. And I think melodically too for for pop fans who mm-hmm. uh, you know sometimes uh, uh, get into rap hits because there's maybe a good hook. Uh, it's, it's got the most melodic chorus i feel like everyone can just get into that so it's got that extra element that i think god's plan and, and nice for what kind of has but not as much yeah that's, that's a fair point although nice for what does have the benefit of uh, sampling a kind of a proven pop classic and i guess so does uh, so does in my feelings with that little uh, lo- lollipop bit at the end so right. uh yeah but both uh, both indebted to chart history there i suppose all right so huge week for drake i i guess we should mention in just the interest of uh, of covering all angles uh, a great week on the charts kind of a weird week for Drake uh, on Twitter, pop culture. Uh, yeah, I guess we can talk about that. Uh, it's it's. Uh, I think Drake is getting some publicity for things maybe he wouldn't necessarily want to be getting publicity for. Uh, uh, I don't know if you want to talk about the Millie Bobby Brown quote at the uh, the Emmys, but uh, apparently she and he and Drake are text buddies. And uh, what do they talk about? They talk about boys. I'll say the the Emmy uh, pre show presenters at the time. I can't remember who they were. They, they, they seemed to think it was cute. They were like, "Oh, Drake, what a what a lovable thing that that this celebrity is you know kind of being buddy buddy with you." But uh, other people point out the age dis, you know discrepancy between the two. Uh, I think he's thirty one, she's fourteen. Maybe not the most appropriate uh, you know pairing to have a, a texting relationship about romantic interests. There was there's been. Rumors of Drake uh, dating, uh, I think, a, a model who, uh, who who only just turned eighteen, but but they, they their relationship clearly goes back a couple of years. Is it a romantic relationship now? Was it then? We don't know. Uh, hopefully, we, we don't hear too much more about that uh, in the in the days to come, uh, unless unless there's something that we really need to hear about. But uh, you know, it, it, it's it's a period that uh, that hopefully doesn't last too much longer for Drake, and that we can. Uh, you know, we can look back at this and oh, that was a little bit weird, but at least nothing truly, uh, truly untoward came about. He's been pretty spotless when it comes to image, right? Unless I'm missing anything. It's always yeah. been, he's just kind of this, somebody's just kind of this robot who just keeps having uh, <laughs> one big hit after another. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's been plenty of drama there. Certainly the feuds with Meek Mill and Kanye and Pusha T and, you know, the, the, the you're hiding a child thing. Uh, you know, it gets messy occasionally with Drake, but certainly he, he seems to be of that kind of Beyonce school of uh, my brand is success. And I, I want to keep the focus on that as much as possible. So I imagine that even even if uh, you know, and, and hopefully his relationships with with, the, with these girls are, are, are totally you know, clandestine and uh, to- totally clean. But uh, hopefully from here, she, he kind of sees the blowback and, and sort of backs off a little bit at uh, you know pursuing these perhaps too intimate relationships with uh, t- teenage actresses and models and 
other folks from the celebrity world. Yeah. Or, or not. Yeah. You know, yeah. No, <laughs> teenage we, Girls yeah. of All Stripes, really. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's not, not like uh, doing it with, with civilian teenage girls would be that much better. So uh, He's also uh, reportedly suing a woman who apparently uh, tried to extort yep. money from him over uh, apparently uh, false pregnancy claims. Uh, and uh, this is, I guess, with all this other stuff, maybe this is just nothing to him. Uh, apparently lost uh, $200,000 in Atlantic City. So, oh, really? Yeah, like that's, one of, one yeah, of the highlights of his week. That, that's one day's worth of uh, Spotify royalties for Drake, I yeah. think. So uh, he'll probably be all right there. All right. So, yeah, I, uh, he's a person. Uh, he, he, not not he just that. this person who puts no, no. out uh, music. He's, he's got uh, other other stuff. But uh, we're talking about the charts mostly. Uh, so uh, looking at uh, Drake's 2018, looking at the chart numbers, we, we give you chart numbers all the time. But getting into the feel of, of what uh, Drake's 2018 on the charts feels like historically when it comes to other uh, acts who've had huge years on the Hot 100 over the years. Uh, here's the, the, the really uh, current reference I came up with, Andrew. I'm very excited for this, Gary. Hack Wilson, 1930, play for the Cubs. Uh, he set the record for 191 RBIs in the 1930 RBIs. season. Yeah, I'm going back almost... Uh, uh, about 88 years, right, for this reference. Yeah. Uh, 190. It comes up sometimes among sports fans. You think, oh, there's a record that uh, maybe it's it's the greatest year in, in some ways by some mm-hmm. measure, but you never really think about it. You think about greatest seasons. You think about, I think about Ted Williams, 1941, a Boston fan. Uh, Joe DiMaggio, I, I think he had a good year that uh, year, too. 26 great, yeah, sure. Uh, you think of you know, Mike Trout, uh, current guys, you kind of think, uh, you don't necessarily think of the one that set the record. So it was kind of curious musically, where is this a year for Drake 2018, where he set the record for most weeks at number one, 29, uh, where does it rank historically among other acts who've had these huge years? Is it, is it I'm going to come down on hack Wilson now. I don't is it, is it a hack <laughs> Wilson year where you just, you don't think much about him. You just, you sort of see that number or is it uh right? Yeah. This is totally uh, feels like one of the biggest years ever. All right, well, did you want me to give kind of a, a baseball comp to that? Is it going to be Philadelphia related? No, I don't think it's going to be Philadelphia related. Uh, it's going to. I'm going to. I'm going to compare it to uh, to, to Barry Bonds going for 73 homers. Was that 2001? Was it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, in that, uh, like like Drake, Barry Bonds had already been a superstar for a very long time. I think back to the late 80s, even. Uh, and Drake's not quite that long, but but also Drake's stardom kind of dates back. I think to the late aughts, and it's been, yeah. been about a decade now. 2009. Uh, yeah. So uh, you know, it, it's not like. It, I think the, the reason why Hack Wilson maybe gets lost to history a little bit, and you could maybe throw in Roger Maris to this too, uh, yeah. is that it was kind of his only historic season. Right. You know, I, mean, I think he had a great career anyway. I'm pretty sure he was a Hall of Famer, but certainly if, if you know, 88 years later, if you know one thing about Hack Wilson, it's this one RBI season. And also, we don't really talk about RBIs that much in general because it's not a very sabermetric friendly stat. But that's 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 a little bit too heavy into the baseball nerdery. I, 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 I just can't wait till I look at the uh, analytics of this episode. Yeah. And I see the point where we started talking <laughs> about Hack Wilson, where the listeners just totally go away. But, uh, the other the other reason I mentioned Barry Bonds in this context is uh, because it was a sort of a different era. Uh, it was an inflated era, and, and it was in, in, in Barry Bonds' case, it was a heavily artificially uh, inflated era. And I, while I'm not uh, accusing Drake of being a juicer by any means, uh, this these are different times in terms of these chart records, and we, we see them falling on an almost weekly basis these days. It feels like, uh, you know, just last year, obviously we had Despacito uh, tying the 20-year record of, of Mariah Carey and Boyz II Men's Once We Day. Uh, we were, every week we have new records, it seems like, of uh, most songs on the chart at once, uh, longest stay in the top 10. You know, it, it, it feels like we're in a, in a time where the numbers are kind of inflated. So uh, does that mean that Drake's 29 weeks isn't the same as Usher's 28? Uh, I couldn't say that for sure. And we also don't know how much longer he still has to go. It could be in the 30s by the time we look back on the year. And it's still three months, three and, three and a half months left. But uh, it does feel like one of those records where it's like, wow, well, this shouldn't have been so easy. This shouldn't have come out. So, and then that's the other thing is that Barry Bonds ended up uh, breaking the home run record by 12 after it hadn't even been touched for right. 40, 40 years, I guess, 40 right. exactly, I think. Uh so that also sort of feels – it feels weird that Drake broke it this early in the year uh, with three songs that just kind of seem to go on unchallenged almost forever. 
So that, that, that's that's my baseball comparison. What do, you, what do you have to say about that, Gary? Yeah, I mean, it's it's always hard to compare uh, eras when uh, you know the methodology has been so different sure. at different times. In the early two thousands, when Usher uh, was having all his number ones, uh, the Hot One Hundred was basically a radio chart because sales uh, in that era between yeah. physical singles and and before iTunes, uh, the radio songs chart and the Hot One Hundred were uh, almost completely the same chart. You could some weeks go uh, one to fifty all the way down. There was no difference. So back then, you needed to be a huge radio act now uh, the way the chart is working with streaming so high uh, you need to be a big streaming act so i think part of it yeah is is the era uh, in which uh, you're you're charting uh if drake uh, was having uh, all these hits in 2004 maybe he uh, wouldn't he'd still be behind usher because maybe he wouldn't have been as big as radio we, we don't know god's plan nice for what and in my feelings all peaked at number three on radio songs which is still very impressive especially for a for a hip-hop act because hip-hop still kind of you know has a, has a, a love-hate relationship with uh, with top 40 radio right but that means that if, if this was 2004 and we were, we were talking about the Hot 100 mostly as a radio chart, then it wouldn't be 29 weeks in number one. It would be zero weeks in number one, it, which is pretty crazy to think about. It, Maroon 5 would be number one. Yeah, so, we were talking about Maroon 5 challenging a yeah. bunch of records at this point. Sure, yeah. So, yeah, so, different, yeah it's different eras, obviously, different uh, different metrics. Mm-hmm. Uh, rule the charts, but uh, perfect timing for Drake uh, this year for, for streaming Absolutely. And, and the way it's working. So uh, I, let's go back through some years over the Hot 100's history and see – Who's had other huge years? Oh, and, let's, and let's, let's go digging in the vaults here. All right, let's. Uh, well, let's go before the Hot 100. Start with this guy. You ain't nothing but a Presley uh, on the Billboard Sharpie podcast. Right, right him, yeah. <laughs> uh, so before the Hot 100 even started in 1958, uh, there were various charts that covered uh, radio play, uh, jukeboxes, uh, sales back then, and uh, on various charts before the Hot 100, 1956. Elvis had 25 weeks at number one combined uh, before the Hot 100. So uh, he's he's in this discussion. We mm-hmm. we don't want to uh, exclude Elvis from that. Uh, Heartbreak Hotel. Don't Be Cruel, Hound Dog, uh, Love Me Tender, all uh, 1956. Uh, years later now, uh, to talk about impact of some of these artists later. Elvis, he's, he's had pretty good impact. Yeah, since I mean, it's 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 hard to compare Drake to Elvis for any number of reasons. I mean, obviously, pre-Hot 100, the, the, the chart system was totally different. Uh, but yeah, you're talking about certainly one of the greatest years that anybody's ever had and, 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 and sort of a defining year for everything that kind of came after it. I mean, when you talk about the concept of rock stardom, period, you're basically talking about Elvis Presley in 1956. And you look at and these songs, I mean, like Elvis had, what, like 17 number one hits uh, from the rock era? If you combine different yeah, tracks. Yeah, uh, and you look at some of them now and, you know, like uh, I Want You, I Need You, I Love You or Surrender or like a, a couple of these other ones that I don't, like I couldn't sing for you. I think a lot of people my age probably aren't totally familiar with. Right. These are big songs. I mean, Heartbreak yeah. Hotel, even if you don't know the song, you know that phrase. You've heard other songs that have referenced it. Uh, Hound Dog, certainly one of the most famous songs in rock history. Love Me Tender, still like a, a kind of a banner slow song. And then Don't Be Cruel, which I think was the longest running of all of these, really. Uh, I mean, uh, you're not going to do much better than that. That That's about as big a year as, as you'll ever have in popular music, especially because everybody in the world, I'm sure, had heard of Elvis Presley and had an opinion about Elvis Presley. I'm sure the you know, generational divides about what that opinion actually was. But, you know, I'm sure there's people in this country that don't know Drake. I don't think there was anybody in 1956 who, don't, who didn't know who Elvis Presley yeah. was. Yeah. I feel like we should almost leave Elvis as his own thing in this. Like maybe in, like you name the Hall of Fame after Elvis, but you don't actually include him in the inductions yeah. because it, it, it doesn't feel – it was such a different thing back then. It doesn't feel right to compare him to some of these other acts. She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. She loves you, yeah. So we started with Elvis. Uh, I think we're uh, setting a really high bar when you go into the for Beatles, sure. uh, 1964. After that, so uh, 18 weeks at number one in 1964 for the Beatles on the Hot 100. Uh, I Want to Hold Your Hand, She Loves You, Can't Buy Me Love, Love Me Do, Hard Day's Night, and I Feel Fine. It's a record six number ones in a year. No one else has mm-hmm. ever done that. So uh, Drake, he's, he's at three, only three number ones in 2018. Uh, just the overall impact. Uh, neither of us were born in 1964, yes, but we've seen the news clips. We've seen uh, YouTube. with Beatles were pretty big in 64. Yeah, so I hear. Uh, and, and this was also the year that they had uh, the entirety of the top five, just just, just all Beatles songs, right? right. Yeah, uh, April 4th, 1964. And I, I think that, yeah, those two records standing for over half a century that that's i mean i i think 
even more so than Elvis. Uh, I mean, and the Beatles, I think, are, are probably the only other act in, in the Rocky era that you can sort of compare to Elvis in terms of that that level of just just absolute hysteria. Uh, and yeah, the, 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 those those two records combined with uh, the movie of Hard Day's Night and the album of Hard Day's Night, and the fact that they were they were still releasing other singles that weren't even connected to that movie or album, and yeah, just just basically from from one end of the year to the other, it, it was it was Beatlemania. It was, it was as uh, culturally immersive as a musical act will probably get in in, in, in not, not in our lifetime because we weren't around for it, but uh, in the Hot 100 era. Uh, and uh, as we're uh, taping this, a guy named Paul McCartney. Is number one yeah. on the Billboard 200. First his, time in 36 years. First time How about in, that? in 36 years. So when you talk about uh, lasting impact, not that we needed a new Paul McCartney album to go to number one to realize, yeah, the Beatles are still pretty well known. Still kind of a thing, yeah. Still kind of shows that, yeah. uh, that the appetite for new music from a Beatle in 2018 is, is obviously still there. You know, it, it, it's we're, we're getting further away from the point where the Beatles are kind of the the unquestioned greatest artists of the rock era because, you know, rock music is sort of falling out of vogue. And, you know, I think more people these days, uh, more artists these days will talk about uh, a guy we're going to talk about pretty shortly as kind of the the, 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 the paragon of, of pop success. And, and there's an argument to be made, certainly, but uh, in the 60s, for and for a very long time afterwards, the Beatles were the gold standard, and in many ways they still are. And uh, yes, as, as, as original fans get older, uh, at the same time, uh, we have YouTube, we have Spotify sure. now. So uh, young kids- We have Beatles can, rock band. Beatles rock band. So uh, uh, everyone can still discover the Beatles as if they're brand new. So it's mm-hmm. kind of, everything's kind of errorless. For sure. Nowadays. Uh, moving on to the 70s. Uh, you think about the 70s, uh, not sure anyone quite had the pinnacle that the Bee Gees did in uh, 1977, uh, 78. So it was actually one week uh, at the end of 77 into 78. Uh, they had 15 weeks at number one with How Deep Is Your Love, Staying Alive, and Night Fever. Uh, d- did disco make the Bee Gees or did the Bee Gees make disco? I think it was uh, just good good. Good timing and good placement for for all concerned. I think uh, you know disco was was still was was already a force for for several years at that point. And like right. I can't remember what like like rock the boat went number one in like seventy four maybe. Yeah. I think. Uh, so that that you know clearly disco was was already a burgeoning phenomenon. But but it really wasn't just the the, the Bee Gees as, as you, I'm sure you're about to know yourself. Like it, it was it was kind of the Gibb brothers in general and, right. and Andy Gibb also doing his own solo stuff and Barry Gibb writing for Yvonne Elliman and uh, Saturday Night Fever the movie. It was just, you know, you know, when you think of 77, you think of punk rock in the UK, and you think of disco in the US. And the Bee Gees just, just had the market cornered, basically. Kind of an example, too. You talk about how uh, we're saying it's such a great thing for these artists who, who had these huge years. Uh, Bee Gees are probably the biggest example we're going to look at here of an act who had the biggest brushback afterwards mm-hmm. because of disco. I don't think any other sound has had that kind of backlash that disco did, and at the same time, the Bee Gees. Sure, yeah, and, and I think you can make a very very uh, accurate and, and strong argument that that they never quite got the credit they deserved as as innovators, as songwriters, as performers, and as just kind of greats of their time. Because, yeah, as you said, the, 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 the disco backlash was so extreme in the early 80s, and there's sort of this uh, consensus agreement among the, the powers that be in the, in the rock world to just sort of pretend like that time never happened, or it happened, but it, but it was something regrettable. But the songs from that period have endured incredibly well. How Deep Is Your Love, If I Can't Have You, uh, I mean, certainly Staying Alive. Uh, I mean, these, are, these are iconic songs, beyond iconic songs. And, and for a long time, I think the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack was the, was the greatest selling album of all time. Uh, I remember hearing a story about uh, how the next guy we're going to talk about uh, would, would listen to it, you know, like like uh, repeatedly on headphones and just just try to internalize the lessons of it and kind of get into the DNA of it because that was that was the absolute gold standard for success at yeah. that time. Disco itself, I remember uh, working in, in AC radio in the late '90s, and we started having these uh, like way back Wednesdays. This was even before uh, Throwback Thursday, <laughs> as a thing. Uh, Flashback t- t- Fridays. Yeah, you, yeah. you almost had the entire uh, the entire week yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, Memory Mondays. Now we just need a Tuesday. We can, yeah. we can work on that. We can come back to that one. Uh, but yeah, it was about t- twenty years it took for these songs to be played on on even AC radio, and they've they've never left since. Mm-hmm. So it, uh, sort of twenty years of exile, and then uh, ever since, uh, twenty years of uh, they're just they're solid hits again. People appreciate it. So uh, I think it comes down to the songs themselves. They're yeah. really good. They're so. Great songs. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So uh, Michael Jackson, uh, you were alluding to uh, before that, uh, 14 weeks at number one in 1983, and actually uh, 16 weeks if you extend it into 84 with Billie Jean, Beat It, and... When you say, 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 as a part of that, it sort of stands out. Well, that's yeah. not on the same level as, as Billy Jean. Well, and, 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 not on the same album as those two either. So, right. Yeah. But yeah, Michael Jackson's 83, obviously thriller, uh, running all that. And mm-hmm. you know, interesting, uh, same kind of thing with disco a little bit. There was a time for, for quite a while when uh, Michael Jackson wasn't thought of as just this iconic uh, King of Pop. I, mm-hmm. He was in the eighties. I think after that, and all the, all the the various allegations that came out in the nineties, his his image took a huge hit. I think it was after he died, people just decided to focus on the music. And, and ever since then, the last uh, nine years or so, he, he's gone back up to that uh, unquestionable, for the most part, uh, just pop icon uh, level that I think we've thought of since. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, it's it, it's not the same thing as it was with the Gibbs, where you know Mike, Michael's music never really fell out of vogue. I mean. You know, there, there was that time in the 90s where there was that kind of apocryphal moment almost where uh, Nirvana knocked Michael Jackson off the charts and that kind of symbolic uh, right. takeover of the Billboard 200 in, in early 92. Uh, and so I guess for a while there, as part of the kind of the 90s alternative era where it was more rock and cred and like, you know, grungy dourness, uh, maybe Michael's music wasn't totally the the in vogue. But, uh, you know, he still had number one hits during then. He still had iconic videos. He it, it was really his personal life and, and some of the controversies and the allegations that you mentioned that, that sort of turned the tide on him in, in an unfavorable way. And, and his own kind of larger-than-life largesse and his untouchability, that, that there was a time when that wasn't really seen as, as, as being a good thing. And then, yeah, as you say, when he died, like it was, it was just a, like a switch flipped on him. I, I, I couldn't believe it at the time. Uh, not, not that it wasn't deserved in some ways. I think a lot of the backlash against him was overstated. But yeah, now, now MJ is MJ forever, right. and uh, he is on that untouchable level again as the Beatles, as Elvis. He's uh, he, he's absolutely up there, and and probably and today I think, by, as I said, my most my most artists would be considered as as the the greatest of all time in terms of in terms of pop music. And uh, so Elvis in '56, you know, in some ways, uh, really uh, starting the rock era mm-hmm. almost single handedly, and, and in some ways, uh, the Beatles in '64 bringing uh, pop music. Uh, to just a, a level it hadn't been. It had been a lot of uh, still, still some of the big bands were still big uh, before then. So 64 changed everything. Uh, 83, Michael Jackson, he uh, he brought R&B music really to MTV. It was mm-hmm. very transformative in a similar way. Uh, even though he'd been out for over a decade, this just, this really changed everything. Well, this, this is sort of, this, this was sort of going to be my, my big question to you is that, uh, so obviously the, you know, the Beatles 64 is kind of the pinnacle of the British invasion. Beaches in 77 is the pinnacle of disco. Michael Jackson in 83, I think, is the pinnacle of MTV, of, of the early MTV era. Yeah. Are we going to remember Drake's 2018 as the pinnacle of the early streaming era? It's weird when you say that because uh, all all the other elements we just mentioned feel very communal in a way. And when you talk about it, when you say the streaming era, I just think someone with their headphones on in their own world, it, hmm. it doesn't feel the same way, does it? Well, but it, it's it's still people being connected. You know, it, it's it, you're right that it's not uh, you know everyone crowding around a TV to watch uh, Beatles on Ed Sullivan or to watch the Thriller video, but it's it's you know people sharing links, it's people sharing memes, it's it's a it's a viral thing. That's right. still communal. It's it's just a you know it's 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 a less physically communal thing as opposed to uh, you know now it's more of a. You know, more digitally communal. And that's that's still that's still important. Uh, yeah, no, I think you're right. I, I think when we think when we think of 2010s streaming, uh, I, I think we will come back to Drake. Yeah, uh, uh, he, he's sort of the guy for that period. And and, and the other thing that's interesting to me uh, is that uh, I guess with the sort of the exception of Michael Jackson, most of these other artists are sort of kind of at the outset of their, their superstardom. You know, Elvis. I think uh, his first single was 54, 55. Beatles, I think, officially debuted in 62. Bee Gees, I guess, were, had been around for a while, but they hadn't been disco uh, until 75, I think, was Jive Talking, maybe. Yeah. So uh, th- th- that was still relatively new into all their runs. 
Drake's been Drake forever. I right. mean, Drake's been Drake since two th- at least 2009 and even before that, really. Uh, so it's, it's, that's, that's what makes this peak so staggering is that it felt like he had already hit his peak several times already. And I, you know, I, I think you guys have talked about this on the podcast before, but how it felt like for a long time, uh, you know, when Hotline Bling only peaked at number two and it got, got shut off by Adele, uh, a lot of people thought, well, that was his chance and now he missed it. And now maybe he'll never have a number one. And here we are later and now we're saying, will Drake ever not be number one? Yeah. It's, it's pretty crazy. Moving on to the 90s, uh, kind of uh, maybe some of us forget how big R&B was sure. in early uh, into mid-90s. Boys to Men, uh, so they had 17 weeks at number one in 1994. Uh, yeah, maybe we're at the first act who uh, doesn't quite have the same lasting legacy, and, and who mm-hmm. really does when you when you talk about Elvis, uh, Beatles, maybe Bee Gees, Michael Jackson. It was almost like a handing off of the baton from Boys to Men to Mariah Carey uh, via One Sweet Day for, the, for a long time, the longest running number one song in history. Uh, and yeah, I mean, like as a as a very young person at the time, someone was just starting starting to get into pop music. Uh, nobody was bigger than those acts. That the, the, they were, you know, the CDs you would see in everybody's collection, even if they weren't really that big of a music fan. And uh, they were the videos that were always topping countdowns on MTV. Uh, and you know, uh, in 1996, certainly Mar- Mariah Carey, uh, t- between "Always Be My Baby" and "Fantasy" and 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 "One Sweet Day," she she was the definitive MTV star of that period. It, it, it's it's. It, it, you know, it, it does feel sort of out of step today where, where we don't have those kind of R&B stars that are just sort of dominating the, both the charts and pop culture in, in such a way. But at the time, it was it was the commercially dominant music for sure. Yeah. So she had uh, 26 weeks at number one, 95, 96 combined. I know we're, uh, for most of these stats, we're talking just uh, January to December. But uh, it's it's uh, you can't mention all this without mentioning the uh-huh. run that Mariah has uh, half a year at number one, just uh, months wise. And uh, yeah, same thing. I remember at the time how big a deal it was that uh, Boys to Men and Mariah were on a song together. And I just I knew yeah, uh, once we day was going to be number one just for such a long time because of that. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then we may, we may as well get into the, to the next artist because he was kind of the guy who who, uh, who turned the corner on that uh, when, when when you know Puff Daddy sort of became the biggest uh, star in hip hop following the death of Notorious B.I.G. and the, the posthumous success that he had with his Life After Death album. And then he he kind of set the new standard for for rap on MTV in a way that that you know was was mind blowing at the time. You know these these epic videos and these these event singles that sampled other hits from the past and sort of built on them. And he, he basically took rap to, to new commercial heights that I'd never quite seen before uh, with the with the entire Bad Boy family in tow and Notorious B.I.G. and Mace and every, all, all the R&B acts that are appear on the same songs as them. And, and uh, yeah, that, that was sort of the, 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 the natural evolution there at the time. I'm sort of uh, feeling a parallel with uh, 2018 to 1997, uh, where uh, Puff Daddy uh, was uh, number one for 19 weeks. And you had these little pockets of pop that snuck in from uh, Hanson and sure. Spice Girls, kind of like how this year there's uh, there's been a little Ed Sheeran, little Camila Cabello, oh, yeah, but sure. uh, kind of similar, right? In yeah. terms of uh, just uh, rap is king and a little bit of pop here and there making its way. Yeah, and it's funny because you you, you, you really didn't see that on the charts before 97, at least not, not with these, these Hot 100 hits that would just last forever, it seems like. Uh, and, and it felt like rap was already sort of a, a, a pretty important commercial force at the time. And growing up, like uh, I, I thought that you know Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg were the biggest thing in the world, but they never got to number one on their own. At least not not before Puff Daddy did. And uh, and yeah, he 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 kind of blew the doors open, and, and it's 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 been hip hop's field ever since. Nelly, 2002 with Hutton here, mm-hmm. and Dilemma, 17 weeks at number one, uh, or maybe hitting an act who is a little bit more in the league of, yeah, they kind of had that one big moment yeah. as opposed to, uh, we're talking about someone who can compare with, again, with Elvis and the Beatles. Sure. And, and for me, it wasn't a year for Nelly. It was a summer. When I, when I think of summer, I still think of Nelly 2002. Like uh, you're, just, you're drilling it down even to, to a season. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how closely it lines up to the summer months, that 17-week run. Maybe a little bit was in spring, maybe a little bit was in autumn. Who knows? But uh, like, like I, you know, I, I, that was, that was like my last year of going to, to like a summer camp type program. And the sound of it was Nelly and, and the Neptunes. And that, that is, is how I'll... I'll always define the you know the, the, when you still when you think of like song of the summer and that's a discussion we have every year. For me, the song of the summer is and always will be hot in here. Yeah, and, and the, I mean obviously that's hot in the title that helps, but it was so massive and it, it was so beloved uh, that and 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 it felt like a, it should have been huge in the summer. And dilemma was the other side, whereas you know as, as opposed to like the the party jam that was the kind of the puppy love oh right. summer romance sort of jam. 
And I, I don't think you can ask for two better summer songs than that. And the fact that they were number one back to back forever, you know, that, 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 that feels like the way it should have been and, and never again afterwards. And thanks for filling in for Trevor perfectly by making it very clear. You were really young. In the <laughs> I think Trevor was well younger than I was, but, uh, but yeah, uh, I, I was still a teenager at the time, certainly. All right. Uh, 2003 for Beyonce, 17 weeks with Crazy in Love. Baby Boy kind of feels, looking back, if you look at the chart history, and just kind of feels like she was... It was a bad pun, destined, your sure. destiny to, yeah. to be uh, such a big solo star, but it kind of felt like we, we knew right from the start that, yep, she kind of is meant to be solo. Yeah, uh, I I was sort of uh, tuned out at that point in time. I I, I, I didn't, I was not, uh, I was I was, I was not as uh, pop conversant as I am now or what it was before. I was sort of going through like an indie phase at the time. So I, the Beyonce thing kind of took me by surprise. I, I had stopped paying attention to Destiny's Child and I, I wasn't aware that this kind of reckoning was coming where Beyonce was going to come and announce her presence to, to the pop world in, in such a dramatic way. But yeah, Crazy in Love, I, I remember even the indie snobs I was hanging out with at the time, they, they loved that song. Uh, and it was the same sort of thing with Nelly, where like the summer was just owned by Beyonce. Uh, it, was, it was sort of those two songs. And then like, hey, I kind of took it home from there for the rest of 2003. But those, those were big songs and kind of expanding the entire music listening universe into being pop fans. So you were this rebellious, uh, snobby teen? Well, rebellious is strong, but I was snobby, yes. <laughs> What were we listening to then? What was 2003? Ooh, 2003. Uh, I was very big into the Rapture uh, and like, uh, like the, 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 the kind of underground New York uh, disco punk movement, early LCD sound system, uh, Chick Chick Chick, uh, bands like that. Uh, and, you know, the, the Strokes, Interpol, stuff like that too. And Radiohead obviously was, was the, 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 the most acclaimed band of that era. Wilco, I don't know, a lot, a lot, of, a lot of underground rock music from that time, I guess. Well, I know you was a pop guy, so I feel like this is a very brief period. In your well, it's funny. Like I, I used to be—I've I've told people this before. Uh, my, my kind of evolution as, as being a music writer is that I used to be the pop guy at indie publications, and then I became sort of the indie guy at pop publications. So yeah, there, there you go. Right. Uh, Two thousand four, Usher. So I'm keep talking about uh, his two thousand four. So four number ones, twenty eight weeks in two thousand four. Uh, any any thoughts off the top of your head of which one is bigger now uh, that they both have the top man. two? Uh, so uh, Usher, 2004, that was my senior year of high school. Uh, I think, yeah, it was probably the biggest song at our, at our senior prom. I mean, like that, my, all my friends were, were super into Usher at the time. We, I mean, uh, the, this, this was me getting back into pop music in, in the biggest way possible. And uh, Usher was the guy from that year. And, and, you know, you don't really think of him as being on the same kind of iconic level as Michael Jackson or Madonna or Prince or even, yeah. you know, the Beatles and Elvis, people like that. Uh I don't know if I could totally explain why that is because he he, he was as big as those artists for, for this year and, and, and it wasn't just one song either. It was four different songs that went to number one off that album and they had massive videos and, and he, he was a you know, triple threat entertainer, could sing, could dance, could write a little bit. Like he, he, uh, he was as big as aughts pop music gets but maybe it's because the, you know, the next album didn't quite take off in the same way or maybe it's because uh, even as he was kind of you know blazing his own trail, it still felt kind of echoey of Michael Jackson in a way. Like yeah. it, it, you know, it felt it didn't feel like he was doing something you know totally new. You know, he was working with some newer producers, some newer songwriters. He was he, he was the sound of Aughts music, working with the, the Neptunes and Little John and all all the kind of biggest producers of the time. Maybe that's kind but, of the Bee Gees thing. It was maybe a little too tied to its time maybe, to last after that. Yeah, maybe or or just maybe the songs weren't quite on the level of those MJ songs or. I don't know, maybe it's just a different year commercially. Maybe by 2004, things had gotten so fragmented, you just couldn't have a thriller again. I don't know. But I, I'm, I'm still an Usher guy. I'll go to bat for Usher. And I got to be honest, I was hoping a little bit that Drake got interrupted in week 27. I feel like Drake, he's going to he's gonna have plenty of records before all said and done. I liked Usher getting a hold on to that one. But I was also rooting against Espacito last year. So uh, maybe I'm just... Uh, old-fashioned in this regard uh, uh, well interesting too we we're talking about before uh, you mentioned of uh, when uh, in their careers these acts have these years uh, usher he was uh, about seven uh, years or so yeah. into his career at this point to drake now about a decade in so there's uh you know, elvis starting at 56 beatles 64 coming out of the gate pretty much with with these huge years but then uh, people like usher and drake and mariah in 95 96 mm -hmm. same kind of thing where uh, it makes sense just in a different way you can come out and be the biggest thing and just capture attention but uh the, the other angle is a few years in you've built up your fan base you've built up uh, kind of in steps a little bit more gradually and then you put out that that thriller yep. type album where suddenly everything comes everything together comes you have life. the fan base and so there's different ways to do it yeah and i i, I really do have a soft spot for those artists that just kind of own an entire year that just they just start early on february march whatever and they just kind of carry it all the way through and then there's something romantic about that to me maybe it's maybe it's because i'm a sports fan too and, and you like thinking of things in terms of years and seasons 
But the fact that you say Usher 2004, anybody in the pop world will know exactly what you're talking about. And then that, that, that's meaningful to me. 2004 was a good year for Boston sports fans. Oh, uh, yeah. I heard about that, too. That, yeah. uh, that's a big one. Uh, 2009, Black Eyed Peas. Uh, two huge songs. 26 sure. weeks at number one. So that's, that's the third longest run at number one in a year. 26 <laughs> weeks. They still have the record for longest continuous run. This was back-to-back. So for six straight months. Longest for a group, too, I'm sure. Yeah, it was uh, Black Eyed Peas. So uh, 26 weeks with uh, Boom Boom Pow. And I got a feeling. Uh, and, and saying all those records, I, I still come back to... Uh, they, they just don't have the track record of someone like uh, Michael Jackson or, or the Beatles or, or anyone else. And it was uh, they've had uh, they had another number one hit with, with Amma B. They've had hits uh, before that with uh, uh, with Justin Timberlake. So they, they've got mm-hmm. a great catalog. It just kind of feels like uh, these two songs just kind of overshadowed anything else they've ever done. And because in some ways they haven't uh, followed it up since then, it feels a little little bit of an outlier among some of these other years. Yeah, it's 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 hard to put your finger on exactly what makes this one feel so weird in retrospect. But they were, I mean, they were always kind of a goofy act. Yeah, like uh, they they don't take themselves as seriously as some of these other artists on this list, and they they don't have the kind of critical respectability of a lot of them. Uh, and yeah, they feel very 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 much of their time. Uh, certainly, like uh, these songs were about as big as, as any of their era, and then they sort of define them in a lot of ways. But uh, they they remind people of probably some parts of, of their lives and of music history that maybe they're not so fond of, maybe they don't would rather not remember. Uh, and and they sort of kickstart this 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 sort of pop rap uh, moment in time, which also encompasses LMFAO and Pitbull, maybe Kesha to a certain extent. Uh, and and that actually ends up being incredibly influential on, on the on the course of popular music. But it doesn't have a lot to do with the kind of things we're listening to in 2018. Yeah. Uh, you know, rap these days is a, is a lot more, uh, you know, it's a lot more streaming focused. It's a lot more about, you know, these young street rappers and, and people that, you know, aren't goofy dudes just singing about partying every day. Uh, and so this, this, I think, is also kind of that Bee Gees thing where, uh, you know, maybe 20, you know, 10 years from now, we'll look back and be like, wow, like, well, I am. Like, he was just, he just owned that entire period. And Fergie with her solo success. And it'll it'll seem more impressive and less ridiculous. But that probably a lot of people looked at Barry Gibb in 1989 the way that we look at Will yeah. I Am and Fergie now. So you know, interesting, knows? interesting to to me. I think uh, because the songs were so different. Uh, I think when you think of Black Eyed Peas, I like how you said they kind of had this this uh, quirky sound. Sure. You think Where Is the Love? Uh, kind of their, their maybe their core sound. Boom Boom Pow is just really weird in the sparse rappy yeah. kind of way. And then I got a feeling it's it's. It, I think people uh, if they know enough about it, uh, they think it's a David Guetta song. So maybe it, yeah. it's it's kind of like neither song fully represents who they were so i think it just kind of it's it's more these two songs themselves as opposed to maybe a black eyed piece overall yeah. but they, they had a lot going on uh, they were legitimately ahead of their time maybe not like 3008 ahead of their time but they, they were ahead of their time they, right. and they predicted a lot of where music was going but uh you know the, the combination of some of the more goofy lyrics and the fashion choices and the two members of the group where nobody really knew what they did like it, it's just easy to kind of look back and laugh uh and not acknowledge that they, look, they had some songs no doubt greetings loved ones let's take a journey Uh, 19 weeks, Katy Perry, number one on the Hot 100, 2010 and 2011. So five number ones from Teenage Dream, which uh, still a record tied uh, Michael Jackson's five number ones from Bad. We're talking about Thriller before. uh, What an afterthought Bad is. The guy had five number ones (laughs) from an album. We don't even mention it because the Thriller was so huge. And And, and also Bad divided unevenly across 87 to 88. So it's hard to say it was one year that MJ sort of dominated. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, no, Katy Perry, uh, huge, uh, huge uh, time. So record setting uh, five number ones. Uh, you're talking about that happy music in late 2000, uh, late 2000s, early 2010s that uh, just we're not hearing that much of now. This was really the the heights of the uh, the Max Martin era pop, in uh, sync, Britney and and uh, Backstreet Boys had started all that uh, mm-hmm. about a decade before. But uh, Katy Perry kind of took that to just uh, historic uh, levels at this point. She's never uh, had this kind of run again. But uh, I, I put this in that league of uh, no one was bigger than K- Lady Gaga, but she yeah, didn't no. have the, the same chart success that Katy Perry did in terms of Hot 100 number ones from one album. For sure. I, I, I would say Lady Gaga was the bigger star of the period. Taylor Swift was certainly the biggest seller of the period. But uh, yeah, if you, I mean, when you talk about the kind of the end of radio's imperial era uh, as released at the Hot 100, Katy Perry's basically the, the last true megastar uh, in terms of just you put it out and it's going to be a hit. And in, in this case, 
it was um, five of them went to number one. And uh, unlike with Michael Jackson, where you kind of look back and you're like, yeah, were all those songs really? And then in the case of Katy Perry, at least three of those songs are still considered iconic pop songs. Which uh, three? Of uh, Teenage Dream, uh, California Girls, and uh, Firework. Yeah, the first three. Yeah, first three. And you know, I, I, I maybe it, it drops off a little bit for for the last two, ET and uh, and Last Friday Night. But those were still those those were legitimately big hits. I think they're remembered mostly fondly. ET's a little goofy, but whatever. Uh, but she kind of had to switch things up. She, could, she right. couldn't keep putting out the same. So maybe she could have, but it helped to kind of just switch things up. Sure. But this legitimately was the biggest period in Katy Perry's career. It was as big as anybody got in radio at that time. And you, know, you, you mentioned Max Martin. There's another name that it's a little bit less comfortable to mention these days. But Dr. Luke was also yeah. a, a, a primary architect of this period. And you know his 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 falling out of favor, both sonically and obviously uh, in, in terms of, of public perception with, with the Kesha trial and some of the allegations raised against him, that sort of makes this era feel especially far away uh, in retrospect. But at the time, yeah, this, this, this was pop music. This was as big as it got. Uh-oh, we're going from Katy Perry to... Cause baby, now we got bad blood. You know it used to be mad love. So take a look what you've done. Cause baby, now we got bad blood. Hey! Now we got Taylor. So uh, shake it off, blank space, and there's uh, Bad Blood, uh, Taylor Swift, 12 weeks at number one mm-hmm. over uh, 2014 to 15. Uh, again, Taylor was about a decade into her career. This is, I guess this is, uh, I'm going to compare Taylor with the Bee Gees. This was uh, maybe the, the two biggest examples of acts who really changed their sound and wound up with huge chart success. Sure. I mean, with, with Taylor, it was more of a steady evolution. You can you, you can track uh, but yeah, I mean, like it, it was very incremental. Every album got a little bit poppier, and eventually she ended up at this kind of blockbuster pop mold. Uh, the Bee Gees, it was there were a couple of dramatic left turns in there that yeah. uh, you know I don't think you listen to those early albums. Think there's any way they're eventually going to get to Saturday Night Fever. Uh, but yeah, and, and Taylor Swift, like I, I, I think we remember this more as a period of cultural dominance than as a period of chart dominance. Twelve weeks is a lot, but it's not. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's it, you know some of these songs. Like I got a feeling was was number one for longer than twelve weeks entirely on its own. Uh, so, and, but, but what wasn't, what wasn't, uh, really stunning about Taylor's 1989 period was, it, it wasn't, uh, how long she was at number one. It was just how long she was around. Right. Like the, this album lasted for what it felt maybe like 30 months total, something yeah. like that, like, yeah. which, which is insane. And you know, we, we talked about it a bunch when we were talking about our, uh, we, we did that podcast celebrating the 30th anniversary of Michael Jackson's bad, where in the early or in the late eighties, rather, you would have albums that would start kind of slowly, but ramp up, and before you knew it, uh, it was where they were on singles number six or seven, and they were still massive hits. And this is kind of the only album, nineteen eighty nine, in the last decade that that sort of feels like that, where there wasn't, it, it didn't start off on top, and then it just kind of gradually dissipated from there. It's just like no, this was in the culture forever. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point because looking at all these these years, and uh, this one kind of hit me the same way that oh yeah, we were talking about uh, Elvis and the Beatles and and Michael Jackson, and uh, you know you get to to uh, you know Nelly and, and Usher, it, it just doesn't feel like that same overall pop culture domination that uh, I put Taylor Swift in that everyone knew who Absolutely. she was. Yeah, there there was there was a period where it was like where, where Taylor Swift was sort of on that Beyonce level of like you know how dare you say anything negative about this wonderful person that we all love. Uh, and, uh, yeah, the, 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 the beginning of the 1989 run was, was sort of the peak of that. And it, it was, uh, it was about as, as universal an approval rating. And, and again, not just from critics, not just from East coast, West coast pop fans, but Heartland listeners, radio listeners, streaming listeners. There, there, there's nobody in the world that, that, that Taylor Swift didn't touch in some way. Drake, 2016. We're talking about his 2018. Uh, he was huge in 2016. He had 19 weeks at number one. Uh, obviously, uh, work. Uh, he was featured on work sure. by Rihanna, but with his own one dance. Uh, now this feels totally overshadowed. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it felt weird at the time, even because even if, as it was having this kind of dramatic run of success, Drake himself was was taking a lot of beatings on the internet, like uh, and and critically and and from you know, just just in kind of a casual conversation. A lot of people didn't really like the views as an album. You know, it was too long. It, was, it kind of flowed weirdly. There were a bunch of really like clunky lyrics on it. 
uh, and like Hotline Bling was kind of tacked on at the end for no reason, maybe just to boost streams. Uh, and One Dance, I mean, people like that song, but I don't, I don't remember that song as one of those like, oh, everybody just goes nuts when this song comes on sort of songs. It was more just like, yeah, it's Drake, he's the biggest artist, this is his biggest song, okay. Well, it kind of felt like uh, Hotline Bling, we're saying, got to number two before that. It kind of felt like this was sort of the makeup call. It's yeah. kind of like, all right, yeah, makeup calls go away, but here's it. the number one. But it felt like a Hotline Bling to this day still feels bigger. I would, I would agree with that. So uh, that's Drake. We'll do one more year. Come and move that in my direction. So thankful for that. It's such a blessing. Yeah. Turn every situation into heaven. Yeah. Oh, oh you are. Justin Bieber's uh, 2017. So uh, a week at number one without the one. And then uh, 16 weeks Despacito. And he was featured on both of them. But you could uh, argue mm-hmm. that, that Despacito isn't the hit that it became uh, without Bieber. And uh, in some ways, the maybe this isn't as big as his 2015-16. It really kickstarted. I think with no, with no, uh, what do you mean? And sorry and love yourself. There's no 2017 Bieber. Uh, but but you combine all that 2015 to 17. And then he kind of uh, just stepped back for the most part since then. That's a pretty historic running hat for those few years. Yeah. And this is, this is my favorite kind of year that a pop star can have where uh, you, you just, you, you dominate pop music without a single one of your own songs. Right. And Rihanna kind of did the same thing that year. I think I did like a like a little Justin Bieber and Rihanna recap at the end of the year where I was like every month one of them was was on a song or had a big video or, or was doing something to kind of, you know, keep their stardom running even as they were releasing none of their own music, really. You know, Rihanna was on you know, they're both on DJ Khaled songs and then obviously uh, Justin Bieber was on Despacito. And like this is kind of the ultimate flex of one's pop superstar, in my opinion, is can you still run the culture without even re- releasing any of your own music? And, and, right. and those are two of the only seven people on the planet who could do that, maybe. All right. So uh, Drake now, uh, 2018. So uh, looking at all those years at just lasting impact. Uh, I think we started with Elvis and the Beatles. I'm not sure uh, anyone uh, really comes to those levels since. And, uh, you know, being in 2018 now, Drake is still number one. I'm not sure it's fair to even assess what uh, the influence is. We we Mm. won't know going forward until uh, maybe a few years from now. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. I I think if you look at this list, it's Elvis, the Beatles and Michael Jackson. I think those are are the names that just kind of stand out as all-timers, untouchable and and at 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 their very peak of popularity, at their very peak of cultural influence. Maybe at their peak artistically, you can argue that with the Beatles one way or the other, but uh, most people, and, you know, Michael Jackson, maybe some people prefer Off the Wall even, but, you know, it, it, certainly when, when you talk about uh, what does everybody compare themselves to? Like, oh, he, they're as big as Elvis, they're as big as the Beatles, they're as big as Michael Jackson. Like right. that, that's, that's, those are the names you had mentioned. Although it's interesting, you, know, you, want, to, you want to talk a couple, about a couple of artists that aren't mentioned here at all? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll try to do it quickly, but uh, the, the other one, we're big as, uh, you know, you would fill in the blank there, is probably Madonna. Right, and she doesn't really have that that one year, that one run. That uh, it, it's it's more a sustained thing over the course of two decades. From, from uh, I was going to say, Madonna, Elton John, you put in that sure. Billy Joel, uh, Prince, Whitney Houston, yeah, Janet Jackson, all these acts, Rihanna as well, sure, maybe Maroon sure. Five this decade. That uh, yeah, we could obviously talk about them, but it's as you say, more consistent, more always there. Maybe never one huge year. Yeah, and and. and uh, I do have to give it up for Prince in 84. Uh, he, yeah. Uh, obviously, you know, with Purple Rain and a couple of the number one hits there and still writing for, for Shaka Khan and for Sheen Easton. Like he, the 84 Prince is, is, you know, it might not make there by chart, but I think that's one of those years that you remember. And the other one I wanted to mention is uh, 2002 Eminem, where he has uh, the Eminem show and, and Without Me and Clean Out My Closet, a couple of big singles off of that. And then he also has Eight Mile and Lose Yourself, which is a 12-week number one. He eventually wins an Oscar for it. It might not quite line up Hot 100-wise, but right. in terms of uh, you know superstars, their absolute peak, it's pretty hard to argue with those two either. And now you're making me think uh, you could put Adele. Oh, yeah, 2011, sure. 2012 in there, although she had a longer run at number one uh, with with Hello uh, and the <laughs> other songs uh, before that. There's so many more we could probably uh, think about, probably. but these are just uh, in terms of uh, chart years, people who did have the longest runs, and now Drake – He's on top of that list. So we just wanted to kind of look at chart numbers versus uh, what it maybe just kind of feels like uh, impact-wise. And I think these things never feel as significant when you're actually living through them. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's entirely possible 10 years from now we're looking back on this and being like, man, that that was was one of the great runs too. And and, and we'll have to see. We'll have to – you know, is is he Michael Jackson or is he the Bee Gees? We'll we'll have to wait to see where popular music goes from here to probably know the answer to that. Like it can go through anything Even when you think you can't find a way to still push 
wrapping things up here on the podcast this week. Flashing back uh, to a little piece of uh, that song we just heard. That's Just Stand Up by, it was billed to artists stand up to cancer. Talking about it here uh, for our flashback this week, uh, 10 years ago today. If uh, you're listening to this podcast uh, when it posts here on the September 20th, uh, September 20th, 2008, this got up to its number uh, 11 peak on the Billboard Hot 100. Uh, you look at the lineup on this song. This is, uh, you're talking about all these uh, superstars we were just talking about here on the podcast. Yeah, a whole bunch of them. People on this song, uh, run them down real quick. Mariah, Beyonce, Mary J. Blige, Rihanna, Fergie, Cheryl Crow, Melissa Etheridge, Natasha Bedingfield, Miley Cyrus, Leona Lewis, Carrie Underwood, uh, Keisha Cole, Leanne Rimes, Ashanti, and Ciara. All coming to Ciara or Ciara? I've heard both. I think Ciara is the uh, the, the, the preferred pronunciation, right. but I've, I've heard both. So a superstar uh, charity song for uh, uh, Stand Up to Cancer. Uh, superstar uh, writers and producers. Babyface co-wrote it, uh, produced it with L.A. Reid. So all the success they've had over the years came together for this song. Uh, spearheaded uh, by Mariah. Uh, originally, Celine Dion and Whitney Houston, too, although then some things yeah, got, got worked around. And uh, uh, only Mariah was on uh, the final version. I like this uh, tidbit. Apparently, uh, Matthew Knowles bid five hundred thousand dollars for Beyonce to sing more lines than anyone else <laughs> on the song. Uh, yeah, a great, obviously, uh, for charity and just absolute superstar uh, vocals. It still still sounds great uh, years later. Yeah, it was a better song than I remembered listening to it again. It sounded like. Uh one of those kind of acoustic Stargate numbers that Rihanna was doing a bunch of at the time. Yeah. Uh, I feel like, you know, if, if you didn't, if you, if you stripped away the, ce- the celebrity cast and just had it as an album track on the second half of like uh, Good Girl Go- 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 Gone Bad or one yeah. of those Rihanna albums at the time, I, I, I probably would have dug it. Yeah, a little little irreplaceable. Yeah, about sure. It. The same, same kind of sound. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was a number 11 hit on the Hot 100. Got some airplay too. It was an airplay hit on uh, AC and Adult Top 40, which you don't always see for some of these charity singles. There's not really, uh, they're not really meant for mm-hmm. radio. They're meant uh, so people buy them and, and proceeds so go towards them. So it's sort of a bonus that it got any airplay at all. But no doubt, yeah. a good song. Uh, so uh, 10 years later, if you were to do a song like this, uh, who would still be in that lineup? I, All right, I, well, here, here. I actually did a little uh, did a little homework before doing okay. this, so I, I got the list of the artists uh, as they appear on the song, and I tried to figure out uh, a would they still be on the song today, yeah, and b if they weren't, who would do their version? Yeah. So, uh, so the first three performers are Beyonce, Carrie Underwood, and Rihanna. Yeah. Those are the first three in performing order. I think those are all still on the song. Yeah, the, none of those three artists have been replaced by like newer models. I was, was going to say those are my three absolute, absolute yes, yeah, they come no back. Miley Cyrus, I don't think so. I think Miley Cyrus, it, it, uh, her, her presence is distracting these days. I think I think Ariana Grande plays her part now. I was going to say Ariana maybe is my top choice for yeah. uh, first person in from 2018. No doubt. Uh, then Sheryl Crow, who actually uh, – did, did, did you ever watch the live version of this, like the one yeah. they actually performed? Yeah. So Sheryl Crow wasn't on that version. They had Nicole Scherzinger of the Pussycat Dolls instead, which right. is a little strange. But I think you, you want someone for this slot to be someone who's a little bit more in that singer-songwriter mold. I think they ask Taylor Swift first. I think she says no. I think they ask Adele after that. I think she says no too. And then I think they get to Pink. I think she says yes. Oh, Pink. Yeah. I like that. Maybe Kelly Clarkson instead, but, but one of those two probably. So, so Taylor and Adele, are they just, they're, they're too big to play with others? At this uh, point? Too big, too conflicting schedules. Maybe they're still on tour elsewhere. Maybe they have their own charity singles that they're working on. Yeah. But I, I feel like those, those are the people that they put the ass out to and then, you know, just, just doesn't come together for whatever reason. Uh, Fergie, I think, is now uh, Camille Cabello. Uh, Leona Lewis, I think, is now Dua Lipa. I think that, that makes sense. Uh, Keisha Cole had a little trouble with this. I think now it's Jennifer Hudson. I think also in 2008 it should have been Jennifer Hudson. I'm not, I'm not sure how she was not involved with I was going to say in terms of uh, just pure vocalists. Yeah, How sure. could she not be on that? Dua Lipa, same thing. I feel like she is maybe one of the best new vocalists, just in terms of She's actual singer, vocalist. Sure. Yeah. The Natasha Bedingfield role, I think, is, is a battle to the death between B.B. Rexa and Rita Ora. <laughs> I think B.B. Rexa eventually gets it, but Rita Ora, you know, she doesn't go down without a fight. Uh, okay. Of course, you coming on from the edit department. <laughs> loves Rita Ora. We have to find a way to mention Rita Ora. Uh, always, always enjoy giving Rita some shine. Uh, Leanne Rimes, uh, maybe Kelsey Ballerini now? Yeah. I think, I think that makes sense. Uh, Sadly, there are so few women to choose yeah, from in the really. country. So if we already have Carrie Underwood and Taylor Swift says no, she's not really in country anymore anyway. Right. Uh, you know, I like that, yeah. Yeah, Kelsey Bell. I think Kelsey Ballerina gets there on her own merits anyway. I don't think that's just a placeholder. Uh, Melissa Etheridge, I think, uh, maybe now Brittany Howard of the, the Alabama Shakes. 
Yeah, I mean they've never had uh, that kind of crossover success. True, but I, I like I, I nominated the, for an album. Of the yeah, I, 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 right. I, I, I like the cred that, that that would bring. Yeah, to you it. need someone a little bit folkier, a little bit more of that NPR crowd, uh, and, and somebody with with pipes. And she obviously is. You know, she can she can hold her own with anybody there. Right. Uh, Mary J. I think it's still Mary J. There's there's only one of her. You don't replace her. Yeah. Uh, Sierra. I think na- I think that's where they they have a rapper. I think you need to have a rapper this time. Yeah. Uh, so is it Cardi B or is it Nicki Minaj? I, was gonna say, I, I, I almost don't both. want to choose one. I had them in my notes. I'm not picking sides. I, I, yeah, let's, let's just say that uh, it's probably one of those two. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure there will hopefully be other other candidates by the time they actually record this. But uh, th- those are probably the two front runners. Uh, Mariah, I think still Mariah. No argument here. No argument. Yeah. And uh, Shanti, last one. I have uh, LMA. Yep. Wow. We had uh, we I swear we didn't look at notes, but I had all these same oh, people really? listed. Well, is yeah. there anybody else that I didn't get to? Uh, Christina Aguilera was originally a part okay. of the plan for the original. She'd be she'd be a veteran at this point. Maybe if they can't get Mary J. Blige, they get uh, Christina instead to kind of be that sort of powerhouse uh, late game vocalist. Yeah. Uh, you know, but uh, I think the first call is still Mary J. Blige in that case. Uh, and in terms of the producer, you know, you mentioned uh, L.A. Reid and uh, and uh, and Babyface. I, 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 see, I think this time it's a collab between Pharrell and Greg Kirsten. That's what that's what I'm calling for that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, you get, get yeah, a little mix of pop, a little R and B, a little bit, but they're both still very contemporary. And uh, yeah, I, I think they get along with everybody. I think that's the uh, I think that's the lineup. Yes, kind of intriguing. It's 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 only ten years in some ways, and, and you look back and you think, okay, Beyonce still huge. Carrie Underwood could be number one on the Billboard 200 next sure. week. But uh, you know, 2008, Taylor Swift was about a, a little more than a year into her career. Katy Perry yeah. and and Gaga were just starting then. Uh, this yeah. was Adele was just starting. So in some ways, this really was quite a while ago. Yeah, and it's it's a nice little timestamp to remember a time when you know. Natasha Bedingfield would be one of the first people they would put the call out to. Uh, you know, Ashanti was still you know a star on on some level, and and you you watch that video. The person that tries to make the most of their time is is Fergie. Like she she really hogs that spotlight, and she was legitimately one of the biggest stars in the world at that time. Yeah. So it, it didn't it probably didn't even feel that uh, that conspicuous at the moment. But it's like, uh, like we are the world. Everyone yeah, was told check your egos out the doors. So uh, well, most of them did. Most of them. <laughs> <laughs> not 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 the Knowles family and not uh, not Fergie. <laughs> All right. So uh, 10 years ago, a little flashback to uh, Just Stand Up. So uh, that's it. That's this week's Billboard Sharpie podcast. Thank you so much, uh, Andrew, oh, for filling in. Any, any, anytime uh, with Trevor out, Trevor not out, happy, happy to come on board. All right. So uh, we'll see if uh, Trevor, I think he's back next week. Uh, so uh, we'll see who's number one on the Hot 100 next week. Is it more Drake? Is it finally the week where uh, Maroon 5 takes over? Uh, does Eminem uh, disrupt everything and come in next week? So uh, we'll find out. Know. Yep, we'll find out uh, next week. Uh, also, uh, I, we don't always mention this, but I wanted to mention it again. We just had a new uh, good uh, call we want to run. Uh, the Billboard Charity Podcast hotline, uh, 212-493-4021, 401-421, 212-493-4021 uh, for any chart questions or comments. Uh, we'll play them back uh, coming up. And uh, you can call too, Andrew, if you have right, a yeah. chart question. I mean, don't, you can... I don't like talking on the phone very much. You know, I do it for my job when I have to, but uh, I'm, I'm not making a lot of social calls these days. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll talk to you next week on the Billboard. Or Chuffy Podcast. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.